This is On Your Radar, Series 2, Back to School in the New Normal, a podcast series featuring the expert medical and clinical staff at Rosecrans. I'm John Williams from WGN Radio, and as you may have heard in a previous episode, this podcast series explores the fear, anxieties, and concerns for educators, students, and parents alike as the school year begins, or maybe for you now has begun, following a year of hybrid schedules and distance learning. Today we're talking to Jason Relly, LCPC, the clinical director at Rosecrans's Griffin-Williamson campus, and John Tonino, LPC, joins us in this conversation, unit coordinator at Rosecrans's Griffin-Williamson campus. Gentlemen, uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, but I don't have to go back to school. (laughs) So maybe that's easier for me to say. Jason, you and I spoke in the previous podcast series. Um, Let's talk, boy, here we are now a year later. Let's talk about challenges for kids back in the school system. Uh, What are you hearing from parents and students and educators? Thank you for having me back. It's, It's nice to talk to you. So there's so many different avenues when it comes to going back to school. First and foremost, it's about anxiety. And a lot of the parents and children or adolescents are talking so much about being anxious or worried. And where that is coming from is all different. It could be the last year experiencing grief and loss or traumatic events that have happened due to COVID-19 or loss of financial situations, jobs. It could just be going back and having to be in a structured environment that is giving out schoolwork or tests. It could also be that you know, you were thriving at home, actually, or set a new standard for yourself of a routine that was healthy or unhealthy. And now you're being put in an environment back with a lot of people your age, all new expectations. And again, it's been a year and a half of change. And this is just another change. You've been dealing with kids for the past 12 months, right? Correct. Yeah. And what's it been like? And what is it going to be like? Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest things that we have seen when working with with the clients is there has been a change in structure, right? Before, when we would work with clients pre-pandemic, there was their wake-up routine, going to school, coming home, and maybe had homework time or chores and things like that. And with e-learning and being able to kind of dictate their own schedule, it's been hard for some of our clients to get into a structure, which ultimately is, is there to help them become healthy with whether they're struggling with mental health symptoms or... Um, substance abuse disorder. Um, So I know that that has definitely been a big challenge for some of our clients. I think you just started to answer my next question. Like, what does it look like in the homes of some of the people that you deal with? Maybe the kids were staying up later. Maybe everybody was staying up later. Maybe somebody was drinking more than they used to. Now the morning is on a different footing as well, right, Jason? I mean, I guess just talk a little bit about what the home structures are like for some of these families. Our uh, residential program at Rosecrans, You know, we have seen clients and families talk about, as John said, different sleep routines. We are having clients come in that find that difficulty sleeping, and there's no expectation to go to bed. There isn't a bedtime necessarily. There isn't this family dinner time. There is not, uh, you know, do your chores and homework, make your bed. Sometimes it's a strict environment. We've had clients that have come to us and unfortunately been in really complex situations with individuals who aren't treating them in the best kind of way. So they've been at home with family structures where 
the parents may be, you know, yelling at them more or fighting with one another. And there isn't much outlet from that. So that's a different kind of structure as well that's causing a lot of stress and adverse experiences. Yeah. John, you're nodding your head. I was, I mean, yeah, definitely agreeing with Jason was saying and, and earlier when he was talking about the anxiety that we expect will occur when going back to school. A lot of it we suspect is going to be because of these these changes in structure and trying to get back to kind of a quote unquote normal structure, right? So yes, definitely everything that Jason's saying is spot on with our students and, and the clients that we work with. It's not an impossible challenge, but it's going to be a challenge as they uh, get ready or have gotten um, or are preparing to go back to school. Are they equally concerned about being able to achieve? in the classroom or are we just talking about the nuts and bolts of getting out the door and being a family going to school again? I think something that that Jason and myself have talked a lot about in preparing to go back to school is kind of the nuts and bolts piece of it. Um, Of course, academics is something that's going to be important and teachers need to be mindful of and stress and families are going to care about. But just getting back to a sense of a school community, getting back to that structure and that routine so that they're in a position to be successful, I think does need to be stressed within that first, I don't know, three weeks, maybe four weeks of of returning to school. I think we have to understand that it's going to look a little different different and that's okay and we have to work together as a community and the school is a fantastic opportunity to do that where we can teach some of the skills that you know interpersonally we're maybe missing over the last year if you have a younger Hmm. individual who was an only child and they were at home by themselves and used to being with a family member, right? And now they're being asked to go to school where they haven't had to be around other children, learned cooperation, learned sharing. And that's talking about a younger population. Then we move to adolescence where they're already going through a ton of developmental markers of autonomy and they've been at home. And now they're in a social setting with others where they're not prepared to, you know, think about what they're wearing every day and some other things that are going on in their head. We have to expect there are going to be some challenges i wonder who needs to hear that message more you know the kid that is dragging their heels or the parent that needs to be sympathetic or the teacher that needs to adjust their learning curve for everybody as a result i mean i guess there's a lot of moving parts there isn't there yeah i think it's every one of those people that you just said we have to understand too that teachers are now in another new position where they are gatekeepers, right? They haven't necessarily had to be for the last year. They are individuals who are going to be recognizing symptoms more. They're going to be fostering this idea of community and partnership and group projects and social emotional learning opportunities. And so with that, they need to hear this message, but families also need to understand they still play a key role in that development of those children and adolescents. Well, John, do we give the kids too much slack sometimes? I mean, at some point, it is time to buck up. We did go through that last year so that we could get here. Now we're trying to get back to normal. So it would seem to me like some measure of discipline, somebody needs to create and enforce some rules, right? Um, well, I think, you know, not necessarily just bucking up or, or, you know, sucking it up, but I do think, again, being understanding that, you know, the students who are going to be returning to school, it could be a challenge, right, for for 17 months, 18 months, um, developing a much different structure and then going back to a new structure is going to be challenging. Do you both feel that um, we all came to <clears throat> accept underperformance in the last year? I don't want to say we got comfortable with it, but underachieving was kind of the norm last year i mean how could it not be right with the expectations that were set up because nobody in the world has ever experienced something like we have in the last year we didn't know what to expect 
so schools did the best that they could and a lot of families and a lot of the clients that we serve did the best they could in trying to adapt and be adaptable to a whole new situation if it was hybrid learning or then going to virtual learning opportunities if they had to log in from home. Some of these individuals didn't even have the capacity or or families have the capacity to have the resources or internet options or something to stay connected. So those were a lot of stressors. So I don't know if it it was as much as acceptability of underperformance as just not knowing where to set those expectations. And then this year, we have to understand that in going through that year, there isn't going to be just this return to normalcy that, okay, now, you know, that's over and behind us. And now, yep, we can go back to giving hours of homework and things like that. Why not? We have to understand that this is another change. Even though it's a change back, it's a year without that structure, right? So I think we have to be willing to ask those how questions, how they're feeling about some of these changes, what feelings are going on with some of these students or the clients that we serve in an effort to figure out how to collaborate. Because something that was said earlier is that we should still have consequences and expectations and provide structure. That is so important. The reality is, though, that's another adaptation to change. So we have to collaborate with everyone to set realistic expectations so that they're attainable and that student or child or adolescent feels successful. Because the minute they may not feel successful, it's not going to work out. They're going to stop. What's the evidence of this? How does it manifest itself? If a child um, has some sort of performance anxiety, if they're depressed or some measure of depression in their life over the course of the last year and a half, I wonder how do you know, how do you see that walking in the door? You see them walking in the door all the time. Definitely. I mean, I think when looking at anxiety or performance anxiety, you have to look at kind of two aspects, both the behavioral aspect and and the physiological, right? So anxiety is pretty similar amongst all types of anxiety. You know, there might be rapid heart rate or, you know, shallow breathing, you know, racing thoughts, um, you know, your typical shaking or fidgeting, you know, things like that. So if it's something where a teacher uh, is noticing some of those symptoms, doesn't necessarily mean, okay, we know this is performance anxiety immediately, but something for, for a teacher or a school counselor to maybe make note of, right? If a teacher, again, a school counselor starts to see maybe you know more behavioral students refusing to complete homework or um, wanting to stay home from school, things like that, you know, that's also a, a big indication of performance anxiety or anxiety taking place in the school. John, would you expect that from all of the students, some measure of that? I don't know. You know, again, I think for many students, I think the hope is that they are able to return to school and to return to that structure, that sense of community. And hopefully, you know, I know we were just talking about what this past year has meant. Hopefully students, teachers, parents, all being able to have a conversation and learning from this past year. Children and adolescents have gone through a lot of resiliency already with the changes that they've had to make and becoming comfortable with e-learning and not being certain, being able to use that and transplant it to, okay, we're back in the classroom and there may be some anxieties. What challenges have I already overcome? I wonder if that'd be a good speech for the teachers to give over and over again to the principals. Look at all you've achieved. Look at all you've been through. You are combat tested. So, yeah, it sucked last year and we didn't do as well academically, say, as any of us would have hoped. But look at all you've learned. Look at how, I don't know if this is true, tougher you are now, but something along those lines, right? 
Yes, there's huge opportunity in coming to that call to strength, in playing on the strengths over the last year. A lot of these children and adolescents have been through so many things nobody has ever even begun to think about experiencing that they can use that message. And what a collaborative and cooperative message it is to promote a sense of belonging when you're first returning to school that you went through a ton last year. How amazing is that, that that we can sit here in the classroom now and move forward. And here we're going to create and co-create a set of expectations to return to whatever that new normal is. And we're going to work together because you can do it, because you did do it the last year. Hmm. I wonder how the conversation goes, though, when they say, yeah, okay, I'm, I don't know that they're going to use this as a crutch, but, well, I'm just not up to speed yet. I'm not ready to learn hard stuff. Uh, we need to go slower for me because of that. I wonder how much you know you, you give on that side and how much of you say, no, actually, you're a pretty bright kid and uh, this is algebra and you're going to have to learn algebra now. I, I wonder how you manage that, John. Unfortunately, I think it's one of those situations where that is a new uncertainty that that students and teachers and parents will will be faced with. You know, so many of the conversations we have here at WGN Radio have been dealing with businesses and how they've pivoted. And many of them have said, what do you know, we should have been doing it this new way all along. I wonder if educators will have an epiphany that way, or parents. Maybe I should have been more collaborative all along. Maybe I should have said, who are you, where are you, how much do you know, what do you expect to learn in this class? Again, I don't want to tell educators how to do their job. I I really don't. But maybe this is another opportunity to imagine education in the classroom. It's a fantastic opportunity, and I think what we keep talking about is asking those what and how questions versus just why aren't you doing something, why? A lot of times if you ask those questions of why, our children, adolescents, even us sometimes, we don't know. And we have the opportunity to say, I don't know, or if you start to dig deeper with what is the challenge or or how is this a barrier, we can start to get to that core and then work together to promote a much different schedule of learning. So something that we've done at the residential facility at Rosecrans is integrate a little bit of more mindfulness practice to even our treatment. And what that can mean for schools is the ability to even integrate some uh, meditations or or yoga opportunities and really start to practice self-care so that when these performance anxieties or challenges or stressors come up during the school day, we can take an approach that Together, we're going to do a skill. And then you can use this whenever you're feeling this way again. And that's just a 10-minute, 15-minute simple thing that can be integrated into a school day to get us back on track with the academic performance. You do that in a clinical setting? You do that in inpatient treatment as well? Yeah, so at, at Rosecrans, we've integrated that more and more. We've we've been doing something to the that treatment level, but we've seen the importance for that at bedtime routine, even energizing to, to wake up your brain since it, it has been different the last year and then integrated throughout the day to do these small spurts where they're practicing this new skill to ultimately be present and be able to stay in the moment instead of get lost sometimes in those negative thought patterns or distorted thinking patterns. You know, I'm treating this conversation, John, like the fall of 2021 is the is the start of the new norm, but you've been working with young people and families for the last year plus anyway who have been dealing with this as it goes on. Can you just talk in general terms about how those families have been dealing with that or what you've been seeing? I mean, if we're talking about 
going back to the classroom or trying to re-energize yourself and imagine how to learn again. Uh, some of these kids have been doing that for the last year anyway, right? Right. I mean, I think one of the benefits of for families when a, when a client is is in residential services is it's not just the 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 client that is the person we're working with, but it's the family. Well, if a child is struggling, how important is it that the parent? Um, own some of that I, I think i mean it's it's incredibly important right so a lot of times in our residential service we really do take a family approach to treatment and um you know if we can help work on the system at home right and not that it's any necessarily any one person's fault but if we can help that structure it's going to help everyone so the challenges for kids back in the school system then i mean that's really what we're trying to focus on here so when the kids go back or as they are going back the challenges are again manage expectations i've heard you guys talk a little bit about that both in terms of the structure of what your day is going to be like also what is a reasonable set of expectations academically i mean we're just trying to go be students again right and i guess this is some this is a call to action for uh, the educators the parents and the students themselves i presume though you want to aspire to be as good at all of these things as you can be hit it out of the park if you can right and if we are going to try and do that what are some of the i don't know um mechanisms by which they can you know be their best this year john i think you were talking about you know, yoga classes or ways to energize your brain. Do you guys have any other suggestions for students and maybe students particularly, but educators as well? What are some tools or techniques they can use to successfully return to the schools? Well, I think for educators, there are always opportunities to gain knowledge and gain understanding on mental health symptoms and substance abuse symptoms. And what are those first steps? What are those first conversations to help a client um, or to help a student so that it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, the risk of, of them struggling significantly hopefully is reduced. Um, you know, there's different programs such as Youth Mental Health First Aid that um, t- uh, educators can um take a course where they're under where they're learning symptoms learning kind of common mental health disorders that adolescents struggle with um and those early like i said interventions to help communicate with a student asking those those how and those what questions um and then and then rallying a team that's the second time you guys have said that how and what as opposed to why is that what's the distinction there It provides more of an opportunity to have a discussion about the topic, and then you can continue to have, you know, decision-making skills, problem, you know, solving opportunities, and you're really then working together and promoting that individual's wellness by having them talk about what's going on with them. So if we're asking how something is a barrier, they, they have an opportunity to respond with their words and start to promote oh, I can talk about my emotions. It's okay to do that. You're a trusted individual. So you start to build some of that trust and rapport as a professional with that client or student. And then, whereas with, you know, why are you having a problem in my class? I don't know. It it doesn't provide as much open-ended opportunity for discussion. And honestly, they may not know. But they may be able to identify what one reason they're struggling versus all the inner workings of why in their brain and go down the last year of struggles. So I want to say that by using that change in language, we can start to promote some of this opportunity where 
we may identify these signs because they're telling us instead of having to observe them all the time. Yeah, I guess I would know what's happening or, or how I'm feeling. I don't know why. That's why you're here, doctor. <laughs> but but I, I, I can at least tell you what I'm experiencing, right? Right. And if you share that information, then it might provide a wealth of knowledge for the professionals working or we may, as a team, be able to know what direction to go next. Is there an opportunity to go a little deeper? Maybe that person says, you know, I'm feeling sad is how I'm feeling because I lost someone very close to me this last year and all, that's all I can think about in school. They don't know why that's going on. They don't understand the grief process or the complex things happening, but they can say, that's how I'm feeling. So we can start to provide services or target that grief and loss or that traumatic experience. And then over time, that school performance, that ability to cope and adapt, that social connectedness will all increase. Suppose it would be nice if we had all been having these kinds of conversations with one another, our kids particularly, over the last 18 months. Now that we're going back to school, suppose a child seems to be doing fine. Would it be your recommendation that somehow or another a teacher find a way to integrate something like this into the day, either on a one-on-one basis or I don't know that you would have this conversation with the whole class, but I guess what I'm wondering is uh, would it be good to just say, how are you doing, Um, generally to the students, give them a chance to either reflect on that or even express that? Becoming more self-aware of how we're feeling, I think each of us, at least I know myself, I could benefit from that on a daily basis. So as someone's developing their ability to tolerate distress or manage emotions or be able to understand what it means to even cope, I think there becomes an opportunity to have that conversation with everyone because each and every one of us and those clients or students are going to have an adverse experience. There is going to be a stressor that comes up. It may not be in that moment, but if that individual understands that they have someone comfortable to talk to, it's a safe environment where I am okay to talk about feelings, then when they are feeling sad or anxious or fearful or hurt, that's an environment where they feel they can thrive in. One last thing about the environment, because it's changed now too, right? If the kid was at home, that's one world, and maybe they found a way to revel in that. Maybe they loved it. Maybe they did well. Maybe they just absolutely hated it. But now it's a completely different environment too, a physical environment. Um, How mindful should we be of that, John? Do kids talk about that, or do parents notice that where they were for the last year somehow affected their behavior? Um, You know, I think definitely uh, in working with clients, they have identified that when we were all kind of in lockdown and not really, you know, allowed to to go anywhere, you know, that it did take a toll, um, that it did um, disrupt maybe hobbies or, um, you know, healthy coping skills that they were able to do, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, you know, and definitely part of the conversations, you know, we're having with, you know, clients and families is how do we try to return to some of those? You know, maybe we haven't been able to plan a sports team for the last 18 months. Do we want to get back into sports? Do we want to get back into, you know, whatever extracurriculum activities, you know, a person is interested in, um, again, for the health and well-being of, of the, of the client, of the student. Yeah. And, <clears throat> 
If the child has, though, in the last year, built a sort of emotional wall around themselves, I guess we've been talking about how to chip away at that. We've been talking about coping skills or coping mechanisms. I suppose if it suddenly dawns on you, wow, we've got more here than I realized we had, I know that's what Rosecrans is there for. But I suppose right now we could just advise families on how to start to chip away at that shell that the kids have built around themselves questions dialogues like this i guess huh? that starts to do it I, I think having opportunity for you to have any time together and increase that sense of belonging and connectivity is always an opportunity to chip away at whatever wall went up there's also unhealthy patterns that may have been created this last week from that environment someone this last year yes so someone may have a much different substance use you know uh difficulty due to being at home and really unfortunately they could you know use when they wanted to and now they're returning to an environment like school that's a lot more structured or they were able to do school from their bed and isolate as much as possible away from family so as we're talking about those things we have to continue to know that as families, we have to find those ways to have these conversations because otherwise we're sending them to school for several hours and they can really come home and then isolate or go back into their rooms, shut the door, jump on social media or their phones or do their homework away from you. So there, there is a call to parents as well. And I can just see, I mean, think about what the day is like. You all get up, now you're getting on the bus, or you're going to school, however you get there, and the parents are like, I'm glad we're back to normal now. And then 3 or 4 o'clock they come back, and it wasn't normal. Um, and yet it sure looked like normal because they got up and they left. And what do you know what they're feeling or going through and what it was like for the day? Um, I would imagine... It might be a little whiplash, either for the kid during the day or the parents when they walk back in the door later in the afternoon. And there is also something to be said about that family member may may think this is normal. They also may be struggling, too. So them finding ways to care for themselves or get support, because for the last year, they've had eyes on their child or adolescent. And although sometimes probably very exhausting and frustrating, it was still being able to know that they were safe. You're still sending them to an environment where you don't know how they're going to do. Are a lot of these challenges or stresses we're talking about going to come up? We still don't know what's going to happen with COVID-19 day to day. There's always things changing. So what is the exposure risk at school? even at times, and now they're coming home. So these parents also need to take care of themselves. And then, yes, I think that's where it becomes ultimately the most important is that we continue to recognize we have to have discussions with one another. We have to be willing to ask these questions and understand that normal does not mean normal. One last thing, and then I'll let you guys go, but I don't want to, and I may stick this at the end here just because I don't want to dwell on it, but I just wonder, the sort of metric by which we gauge success academically has always been your grades or what your scores are on standardized tests. So, John, why don't you go first? In general, what's a reasonable expectation? What do you want people to think about out there about academic achievement going back to school? I think that, you know, 
first and foremost, you know, when when students are going back to school, kind of everything that we've been talking about in regards to hopefully we're able to return to building a sense of community within the school system. Hopefully we're able to um, create a environment where students do feel safe if they do need to talk about traumatic events that have occurred or anxieties about going back to school. You know, that's not a grade. You know, that's not an ABC type um, system. Um, but you know, before we can even, you know, I th- think about those grades, we have to create a structure in a, in a system, in a setting where they can be successful. Um, and, and as we've been talking about having this collaborative effort um, with with schools, with families, you know, I think we might have to set expectations for kind of students on an individual basis, um, perhaps at first, Um so that they can start to sense that that sense of achievement, sense of confidence back in the school setting, and hopefully we can kind of get back on track to your traditional kind of school setting um, at a certain point. You know, we talked to the chief education officer for the Chicago Public School System about that. I said, what, did, what are you going to say about grades and pass-fail this year? And he said something very, very similar to that, that it's going to maybe have to be on an individual basis and that it's not going to be a strict regimen or, uh, you know, metric for every. Everybody. Um, and and so, so, so maybe, while this isn't 2020, it's not 2019 either. You know, it's, it's, it's still a new kind of normal, isn't it? Now, your last thoughts about all of that. This is ever-evolving, and there is an opportunity here, and that's what we want everyone to know. It's an opportunity for schools to do something a little bit different that s- supports the wellness of that individual wholly and the family where they can have resources established and start to think about things on an individual basis with every student that comes into that classroom and might have different capacities. Someone's 100% and A might be someone else's 75% because of what's going on. So really take that into consideration as we're working with each of these individuals. That's Jason Relly, LCPC, the clinical director at Rosecrans's Griffin Williamson campus in the northwest part of the state. And John Tonino has also been visiting with us, the licensed professional counselor and unit coordinator at Rosecrans's campus there as well. This is On Your Radar, back to school in the new normal. A podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, northern and central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Go to rosecrans.org or call 866-830-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans. Life's waiting. Life's waiting.